tremendous honor to host Amber Webb for a residency that concludes with this exhibition tonight. So thank you all for joining me and welcoming her. Um, Amber is going to talk about her work, um, but first I'm going to um, introduce a new friend, Quentin Simeon. Quentin is um, newer to the former area. He is a UFIC storyteller. He now lives by Kentamac Bay in the Anchor Point area um, with his partner Jennifer, who grew up here as well, a UFIC woman who is part of the big Quintenture family that I know and love. And so I'm really pleased to, um, you know, to welcome them here tonight also. Um, but I invited Quentin because um, he grew up on the Pascoquim, steeped in a very rich UFIC storytelling tradition. And since graduating with a BA in English from UA in 2006 in Anchorage, um, he's been working in higher education and cultural education and serving as an Alaska Native cultural liaison and intercultural communication specialist. And asked Quentin to briefly contextualize the work that Amber is doing as a contemporary pictorial music storyteller within a rich and living tradition of music storytelling. So, welcome you. Yeah, um, my name is Wynton Simeon, I'm here for Fred uh, Haver, and uh, it's, I'm going to start off at the beginning, so, um, if you don't know much about music culture, being music or youthap means being a genuine human being. <laughs> and uh, I grew up, like you said, on, on the Cuscoquim River, and it's a far cry from Bristol Bay, where my, my partner and, and Amber A and Amber are from, and uh, but we're all connected as a people, and uh, you know when when you grow up and you look at um, our art, it comes with a certain flavor to it, and you know it, and uh, like when you taste a gudak, and it's like somebody's real a gudak, and you're like. Mmm, that's really good, a good, somebody really knows how to make that. And even with the coming of like modern ingredients and modern things, you can still tell when somebody has that really good, a good. And um, this, will, this will all make sense in a few minutes, just bear, <laughs> bear with me. And uh, last night we had an opportunity to enjoy some of my mom's, a good, you know, upstairs. And then Asia hosted us and we had a really nice meal. And... Um, so I didn't know Amber very well previous to last week, but I knew of Amber very well previous to last week. And I was really inspired by her art and it carries a message that's really profound. And um, so I get a call, like I'm getting off work and my partner's all, um, honey, do you mind if I invite somebody over for dinner? And I'm like, Sure, like no problem, we'll have somebody over for dinner, it'd be great to have company. And then I'm like, I'm expecting family, like some of the Poindexters that we're just kind of, you know, bringing into the fold into our family. It's like, do you know Amber Webb? And I'm like, no, but yes, but no. It's like, well, I, I invited her to dinner and I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and so she, she brought home Amber and, uh, and immediately, I could tell that she was that right kind of a gudak. <laughs> but, you know, she uses some modern tools and some modern things.
time. Uh, I was trying to make a traditional something, but we use modern tools now and again. But I'm really trying to like bring back like what my ancestors did. And so I'm practicing things that make me seem really slow and awkward, but I'm really just learning and remembering what my ancestors have done for eons and generations. And um, this guy came up to me one time and, and he goes, are you supposed to be using that tool? And I was like, it's available. <laughs> and he goes, well, what would your ancestors say? And I said, well, when I was a young boy, I wanted to learn what it was like to chop down a tree. And so I went in and asked my grandfather for his axe and I sharpened it and I got that blade ready and good to go. And I was like, can I chop down a tree? He's like, yeah, go ahead. And so I'm chopping and I'm chopping and I'm chopping. And I'm doing a horrible job because I have no idea what I'm doing. And my grandfather, after watching me, lending me his axe, I'm almost off. Comes and he goes, you know they make chainsaws now. <laughs> <laughs> and as I look around, so, you know, the docile Eskimo, that like archetype that's been around for a long time. But, you know, with artwork that has, you know, come out of this woman here, you know, she brings the chainsaw when she comes. <laughs> and... <laughs> to see what she is able to put out there because it's real a chainsaw. <laughs> and that's Amber Webb. Thank you very much. That's the best, that's the best thing anybody's ever said. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, on a chuck knock. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to stand up. Okay. So I don't even know how to follow that now. Like, but, um, a lot of, so I'm going to stand back here, I guess. Um, first of all, just like, thank you so much for that. And, um, I just want to start by thanking Benel and all of the really incredible women that work here. Um, I'm Amber Webb, I'm Yupik, and some other kind of Native American, I'm not really sure. Um, but I grew up Yupik, so that's what I claim as my identity. Um, um, I grew up Yupik dancing, I grew up not speaking my language, I grew up with a mix of traditional and contemporary just by way of um, the factors like colonial trauma, the circumstances of my life and my parents' lives and their parents' lives. Um, and so it really, it's, it's, it really means a lot to me to hear Quentin say that because I think the last maybe 25 years of my life have been um, pretty focused on understanding who I am, understanding uh, iceberg. Like, what does it mean to be a and what does it mean to honor all 
other people as real people, right? And, um, and then also, um, so I think a lot of, like in my work, I think a lot about what my ancestors would be doing. What would they be doing? And, and uh, I reject the idea that we would have put limitations on ourselves um, with regard to materials or tools. Um, the tools that I use are sometimes um, tradition. Sometimes they're not, but I'm still using them as a Yupik, right? So um, I'm, I just love what you said. I can't even get, get over that. So great. Um, but so some of the things that I've done while I've been um, um, within my work where certain, like you'll see, um, you'll see fish that look like this a lot. And kind of what I'm trying to do is make things like kind of get down to the essence of things, like the essence of form and shape. Um, so you'll see the fish, you'll see the handprints, you'll see these V shapes like right here. And I, I use those V shapes to kind of like represent um, like prayers, like when, in the sense that when you're hoping for something really good for somebody and everybody around that person is, is with them, like hoping them, that's what that symbol is for me. Or sometimes you use to signify like traumatic experiences or traumatic things. Um, I, put, I put these faces a lot in my work. If they're hollow like this, I know everything that I've been able to do always like guiding my actions and I think a lot of existing within families and how like you could be named like baby grandpa if you're a girl right like in Yupik you could be named that and that would be an honor or baby grandma if you're a boy and it would still be an honor like we don't our our names aren't aren't specific to gender in that way because when we're like we come back to each other over and over again and so I know work um, so this this particular so <clears throat> there's those old stories that are super special that have been around forever want to be I will tell so this one is about girls from my community who
on it that to me the same thing so her grade got together and they um, they had some adults in their lives we want to change this their mothers and then their teacher and some other people got together who were supporting them and this creek is named after these seven sisters so in Bristol Bay in Dillingham like a very significant portion of the community they they came originally from like the Kuskokwim like the lower Kuskokwim and they came down to Nushigak which is above what is now called Dillingham um, the real name is Chilion. came there and then they went to this creek and they all married white men because they were orphaned and they were surviving. They were doing what they had to do to survive and those people uh, connect most of our town. And so it was really powerful what these girls did. And there were people who, you know, our, our own people who were... Um, angry with them for trying to make these changes because they'd had so much trauma in their own lives that they were afraid to even change it. So I for them and I drawing for them lines like elevating like that and that's kind of now because we still have our heroes in our communities right so everyone like that and then the other theme you'll see is you'll see these big round ladies these big like ample women who are just really roundy <laughs> like, and, and 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 so you know I started doing I had been doing this um, activism around violence prevention preventing violence against our women and I did this giant Gus Buck and I did portraits of like about three murdered and missing indigenous women and it really just took so much out of me over and over and I I didn't really realize it at first, but I started just like getting really tired. And then I was like praying about that. And I was thinking like, what do I need to do to, I need to be, I need to be able to be joyful because we have all this heavy work that we do to decolonize. And we have this heavy work that solve these problems. And as indigenous people, when you go outside, when you go to the store, when you interact with people in the world, you never really put that down. It's always with you and it's always something that you carry. So I was like, you know, what brings me joy? What makes 
like making space for these big round ladies to just be themselves for themselves made me super happy. And so I just drew a whole bunch of those and um, I, I feel like there can't be enough of them because everyone deserves representation, but, but round native women are not always acknowledged as a gift to the world and they absolutely are. We've always had, we've always had big people, we've had small people, we've always, you know, been human beings. So I kind of, so I created this, if you'll, you'll notice like all of their, I'm gonna walk over here. And then you guys all sat down and I'm gonna walk. In the Bristol Bay region, a lot of our tattoo culture has been pretty much erased, right? So I think it's really important to tell you guys that this is something that I came up with from my own head. It is not based in historic um, tattoo placement. It's specifically to accentuate the shape of roundness. And like, I asked myself, you know, like what would it be like if instead of, when I put on clothes every day, instead of thinking what would make me look smaller what if i'm like i'm going to accentuate every shape of my body because that's my body and that's my grandma's body and her grandma's body like that's something really special so I, then i put like um these lines deliberately to accentuate those shapes and to say like we don't we don't have to change ourselves to be valued so that's that's like a way of kind of taking that MMIW and violence prevention advocacy and then like bringing it from a place of joy where it doesn't have to be because because that work that's not who we are right that's something that happened to us but this can be who we are particular piece I was kind of a parallel between her breath and the breath of and, and the smoke from the lamp because like we have and you we have a lot of traditions around breath and pheromones and how we respect each other by like covering our faces or or like looking away from each other when we pass in a hallway or something um, because women are super powerful women are real powerful and you have to be really careful with your power, right? So I kind of, I wanted to um, show that. And sometimes you'll see things like airplanes or you'll see boats. And I kind of, I wanna show that this could be somebody from a thousand years ago or it could be somebody from today. Like even if we're wearing different clothes, when we take our clothes off, when we are, in the Marais, when we're doing something that we've always done, we're still the same people that were here before. And, but, but like this could be today, right? And it still is today. So that's, that's another theme. Another thing you'll see a lot of is you'll see like shifting from person to animal or animal to person, which I'm gonna just like 
look to you because I know I I don't know all of the etiquette or all of the rules around representing that but in a lot of our stories they'll talk about the wolf or the fox or something tipping its head back and taking its fur off and becoming a person and sometimes it's sometimes it's the um, a spiritual being or like the spirit of that animal because you know I'm starting to understand more how everything has personhood everything has spirit and like we don't exist above we are a part of right always and so I'm really interested in like that exact moment where of shifting and what that might look like in those stories and 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 I don't know that many of them but I know that the way that they're told you always get this really rich imagery in your mind where you could just like see uh, see an animal like tipping their head back like that and so and then there's little bits of humor like in this one it's a bird becoming a person right and then in the one next to it I imagined like a fox maybe like the foxes around my house always eat all the ptarmigan, which is a bummer because we like to eat those. And so I'm like, this fox just ate our, ate our ptarmigan. And then you can see like the footprints and there's no ptarmigan. <laughs> like there's like tufts of feathers. And then she's like full. And so now she can take off her skin and become a person because she had enough to eat, right? Um, so, you know, food sovereignty. And that's not based on a real story. I take some liberties, but you know, like it's supposed to be funny so I think that's allowed when you're being funny but um, and then um, I could probably say so many more things but I don't know how long I've been talking but I, I said a lot of words but the, so, so um, and then maybe the last thing um, I, I want to do is just ask if anybody has any questions Oh, I forgot to talk about that. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, so I was thinking about like the state of the world right now. And then I was thinking about like my, my grandma and my great grandma always wore uh, what we call um, blatuks, like um, the basically the Ukrainian headscarf, right? So a lot of I see a lot of young people now reclaiming that and wearing those like around because that's what our our grandmas always wore and these really vibrant floral patterns are are like really just like beloved to a lot of the older women that I'm close with but I wanted to kind of think about um, the influence of the Russian Orthodox Church and Russian culture and what that what that meeting kind of has been. So it's it's pretty, but it's also like like thinking about women as resources versus fish as resources and drawing that parallel. Um, some of it is review. A lot of it is like trying to confront that um, these patterns of um, like like fry bread like obviously like we didn't have flour before but fry bread is 
yuk. That's that's that fry bread is yupik, and and I don't know a single person who's an elder that would be like, oh, we don't eat that kind of food. Like my ancestors would eat everything, all the things. They would be like, don't waste anything. So just like that, you know, that blatuk was a Russian thing, but now it's a yupik thing because because we use it and it's become a part of this of uh, apparel and, and design. And so I kind of, there's a lot of, a lot that goes into that, but it, you know, it's just flowers and fish, but it's, there's like a lot of stories, I think there. So, I think it's a little bit, honestly, as the, as I intended it, it's a little bit defiant almost, like loving herself, but also like defiantly, like, and being proud, but also just like, um, yeah. And I, I don't know if that's a very good answer, but. <laughs> Right, so I asked my wife, "What's gudin?" And she said, "It's gooey gakin." What? I really like eating gooey gakin. What's really gooey? A, a, a gutak. Yeah, that's. Um, would you like to? It's a mixture of berries and fat. That's a dessert for Yupik culture, and it's pretty pretty common across the Yupik and Yupik regions, the coastal areas of Alaska. Okay. Sometimes it's got fish, sometimes it's got different kinds of fat, sometimes it's got sugar now because we all love sugar. <laughs> sugar is delicious, so like, you know, berries, it's like a, a mixture, a guduk, like it means a mixture. So Not gooey ducks, but a guduk is like a yupik word. Those are good too though, I'd probably eat those too, but whatever. <laughs> I think I've been doing that for a couple of years now. I, I think that came out really um, organically. It was just like trying to figure out a way to show something that is invisible. Like, like we don't see, we don't see all of the things that other people go through, but they're they're still there, right? So, I couldn't. There are so many things that we deal with now that are like sure trauma always always has existed for human beings, but the way that trauma exists in indigenous communities now is different than it was before. It, it's very different. So I was trying to figure out how to create a way to understand that in images because it's so often we just like pretend it's not there. So I don't, I don't really know why that's what I came to, but it seemed like kind of like it could be understandable when you look at it. Like, I was thinking of like cartoons as a kid with X's for the eyes when, and like how trauma can be like, you know, it, it 
it can kill your spirit after a while if it happens enough to you, you know, and like, so it's not death, but it's, it's like, if you don't have enough of the, the prayer and enough of the resilience factors, enough of the joy and all of those things, then eventually that trauma will like erase you. It'll erase your spirit. And so I, yeah. I couldn't really think of another way to show it. And then one of the things that happens, sometimes like the style will change over time, but I, I'm trying to be really deliberate about creating a style that kind of almost has its own like language that you can follow that's consistent over time. So I think I'll probably keep that one because I, I think it reads, hopefully reads as, what I meant it to read. But. Amber, within Alaska and within um, uh, a growing um, sort of body of work created by contemporary Indigenous women, um, how do you how do you place yourself? Like, who who is important to you, and what kind of, of movements have you seen? that have helped shape some of the voice that you're bringing to your work? Um, there are some artists maybe or okay. some imagery. Um, definitely Sonia Keller Coombs, like without a doubt. Her, her themes, her use of imagery, and then just her way of being in the world really has been a big influence for me. Um, um, Aisa, um, actually, when I was in college, uh, Alvin Amison was one of my teachers. And I remember I was like trying to figure out what kind of an artist I'm going to be. And um, I was trying to figure that out. And he was like, he, I, I'm like, I'm really like overworking everything. And he's like, don't worry so much. Just do what you're going to do. And people, it's like, say what you're going to say and don't worry so much about like, going back and fixing it because you're like losing yourself in this work. You're not showing who you are anymore. And like, I kind of, I always remembered him saying that. Um, that's a really big question. Melissa, Melissa Shaganoff. Um, I feel like there's probably like 20 other people. Emily Johnson. Is that because of themes or um, images or? With Melissa. One of the things that really was influential for me with her was I could remember meeting her in college. UAA told her she couldn't do what she wanted to do. And then she figured out a way to do it somewhere else. Like she just did it. And then, and she's, she has this like way of, it's like this, this Athabascan confidence that's so like calm, but fierce. Like you, when she speaks, like you listen to her and and she's careful with her words and she's just so like impeccable and I so I I think it like early on I, I could remember um, talking with her and just really being like being impressed by that and realizing that you know I could I could be confident too I could I could say something even if it makes people uncomfortable, 
in a graceful way and, and, and they would listen. And um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other people, but there's so many, like we, we have a really um, like incredible um, group of indigenous artists in the state, like, um, like Bobby Ita, um, Lily Hope, I mean, you know, of course, Holly and Sarah. Um, I mean, like, you know, there's so many. Like, it's, I, I don't, I don't know how to place myself in there. I don't know really where I fit, but I definitely look up to um, the other people making art. And I think it's really important to acknowledge as a native artist, we have things we do that are individual, like to us in our practice, and they're ours. And then there are themes and, and symbols that span even across indigenous cultures that we use. And they don't, it's not like in the Western sense where somebody owns them. Nobody owns them. They're for everybody, right? Like, like the, the eye awareness or like the Bogayak that I put in my work right behind you guys, that lady with the Bogayak above her, that like a lot of Yupik artists will use that symbol. That's like, yeah, the dragon one. Like a lot of people will use that symbol. That's not my symbol, but it is my symbol, right? Like, and we like, it like completely shifts the way you think about community and about art and I I like one thing I notice is a lot of these people that I look up to are just just humble you know they're just doing what they do and it's really beautiful and then you know I'm just humble but also very fierce like Sonia's really calling out the history of abuses within the church and the colonization of Alaska yeah Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I'm part of that movement. No, I, I think it's, um, yeah, she's, she's been really powerful that way. Um, I, think, I think there are a lot of things that still need to be said more. There's a lot of things that, like, we need to talk about um, how colonial trauma has impacted um, uh, relationships between men and women. We need to talk about how we support our men, how, how we need to talk about how we support each other. And there's all these things we need to talk about, but what Sonia's doing, where she's talking about, she's like mapping the abuse that happened to our people. And then she's also like asserting her own identity. That's a really powerful thing to do. I, I don't, I don't know. I think maybe I'm doing that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in the same, like, <laughs> in the same, like, she, she's just so incredible, you know, but I think, like, we all have ways that we say those things, but at the end of the day, 
you know, if we're not talking about like the other parts, who we are, like how we live, how we tell stories, then we're, you, you can lose yourself in that, trying to talk about the traumatic things that happen. And, you know, I was starting to lose myself, you know, and so that piece in the corner that was about like, I read this poem yesterday and I, yeah, I was like, I'd been doing this, you know, activism for a couple of years now. And I, like, if you don't have other things that replenish you, then you will lose yourself and you, you, it gets really heavy. But then being able to talk to other artists and interact with other, you know, especially other Native artists will really, like, it can be pretty rejuvenating. So you don't, you don't feel like you have to carry all that stuff by yourself, you know? <laughs> if there was one thing from Yupik culture that you wish could, like, colonize back, the whole world should be this. Um, I could think of like 10 things. But <laughs> I'm looking at him because I'm like, will you answer that question? I don't <laughs> but I think um, it would be like the biggest thing, the thing, if I, if I pick one thing, it would be like centering our children, like centering them. In Yupik culture, it's like spirit, children, elders, women, and and other gendered people and men. Like we have our protectors, we have our providers, we have our elders who are teaching our youth. We have our youth at the center of our society because our youth are the most important thing. So if I were gonna pick like one thing that I would be like, it would be like always centering youth, always uplifting youth. And like, like the youth should feel like they're really important, right? And our elders should feel like that too, but there's a relationship there and there's a responsibility on both sides, right? And that relationship is really special, but we like, even in our own communities, we lose that. And I, that's like, that can be so heartbreaking. So if, if that was like a superpower, <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would probably be it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that phenomenal work has influenced a lot of women. And uh, it's, I think, I certainly think it has been part of movement building. That piece of the anchor and inspiration for a show that Benel is presenting next month that opens at the Pratt Museum on June, on June 11th, there's 13 artist cohorts and one of the show is about these um, images of strength and resilience that indigenous artists today in Alaska are uplifting. And you've been such an important part of that. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Asia. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm like, with a chainsaw. <laughs> I need to get a, I need to get a, a